This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this is Jacob Brass with Longleaf Fertilia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy. There we go. We're going. We got it. It's under under control. Everything's fine. Nobody panic. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, welcome everybody. This is episode one seventy one. Is that is that right, Jake? I don't know. Normally, it's at the top of the screen, and I see it. Oh yeah, yeah, it is one seventy one. We got it. Um, 171 of the Herpeticulture Podcast uh, Brought to you by BlackboxCages.com And Steve Snakeshuary Check both of them out Blackbox, I literally just posted The new single window drop down Option Like single door drop down For the XA and XT3 And then The slider option now If you want Instead of front openers We have sliders for the XT3 and XT4. So check those out at blackboxpages.com. If you have any questions, send us a message. So, and then Steve Snakesbury, if you like hot sauce, check it out. Um, if you get his hot sauce, you're helping out with snake relocation, rehabilitation, education, all that stuff. So. What's new? What's new? Man, Man, nothing. Just, just quarantining Quarantine everything from Daytona. Daytona. And yeah, maintaining. Yeah. Nothing new. Excited for breeding season. It's almost almost time to start pairing carpets. So, yeah, it's that. crazy, man. I was thinking about that last night. It's like I feel like the season just started, and now within a couple of weeks, we're going to be cool and everything's down again. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna wait to I'm gonna wait to cool the cool birds for the a little longer than you are. But, yeah. We're gonna give it a shot. We'll see. Depends on what yeah. Mother Nature wants to wants to do. Yeah, I mean, if we get an early winter, then you know, I might. But I just don't. I don't want to stick them down to December while it's you know we get a cold we get a cold week and then it's in the 70s. I don't really want to do that. So. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. Um, what about you? Well, just catching up at work. Oh, yeah, I feel that. Yep, playing catch up. So, three day weekend, so it's going to make sure everything's in order before we leave tomorrow and come back to an inbox full of emails on Tuesday. So. But, uh, but uh, we've been talking about this episode about for a while, while now. now. Um, I have this book we were joined by the author of uh, Tears for Crocodilia, Evolution Ecology and the Disappearance of uh, One of the World's Most Ancient Animals. Uh, so we are joined by Zach Fitzner to talk about that book. Uh, he initially emailed me because I guess he came across the magazine uh, or the website. And, you know, we do book reviews and stuff there. So. He hit me up and told me about it, and I, I found it, bought me a copy, and uh, 
read it. It took me a little longer than it probably should have because I'm a slow reader when it comes to getting books finished. Uh, and it's awesome. It's really good. So uh, as soon as he, he hit me up about that, I was like, got to have him on the podcast. Talk about it some because it's it's yeah. it's right up our alley, you know? Um, Absolutely. But I also find it really interesting because I don't, I mean, I could be, I could be wrong in wrong saying this, but I mean, you're, you're not like a traditional, traditional herp guy. guy. No, I, I'm not. I mean, um, I've always, I've always uh, had an appreciation for herps and I, I did used to have um, chameleons when I was younger and I had a box turtle for a while, but um, I traveled too much to really like have herps as pets for the most part. Um, kind of the downside to traveling all the time and living is sort of, you know, unsettled existence, but um, yeah, uh, but I still definitely have an appreciation for them. I'm more of a kind of general natural history guy for the most part. But Very your background cool. is in uh, like paleontology kind of, is that? Yeah, yeah, I work, I work in paleontology. I've worked for three different companies. So it's like commercial paleontology. So uh, we do things like, you know, a museum wants a T-Rex skeleton and we prep it out for them, mount it, stuff like that. I've worked for a company like that. And now I'm working at a place that does purely fossil casts and replicas. So most of the museum exhibits that you see are casts, you know, um, where, where the real fossils are kept in the back for research and stuff. So, yeah, um, that's mostly what I do for a living is uh, casting dinosaurs and giant crocodiles and things. That's, that's freaking awesome, freaking dude. Awesome. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> it, it's a little bit of awesome, like when you get done with the project and sometimes yeah. like, really yeah. boring when you're like, just like, like working on the same thing forever. But uh, yeah, it, it's mostly, I, I like it a lot. It's, uh, it's yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah I'm sure yeah, I'm there's sure a lot there's of monotonous tendencies, tendencies to stuff like that. But I'm sure it's very rewarding work. Right, yeah. Yeah, seeing it all come together at the end is makes it worth it worth yeah. yeah you're an artist, you're an artist. that's fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> we're also doing we're also all the, the, the very thing that all of us wanted to do when we were kids before we found herbs was like i wanted to be a paleontologist as a kid so bad i saw jurassic park and i was like that's it that's all i want to do <laughs> and then you realize things are alive that were pretty awesome too right so exactly yeah. <laughs> and i didn't have to worry about having catastrophic, catastrophic accidents, accidents of reanimating, reanimating uh, extinct, uh, extinct species and, species and learning that lesson multiple times. Was that was that movie a big influence for you as a kid? Oh, yeah. I mean, I loved it. Uh, I think I was into dinosaurs before it, but it just, like, you know, emphasized everything that I liked already. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. All, all us, uh, herp guys, herp guys, most of us at least started with dinosaurs as like little kids, man. I had, I would just, my parents are moving and my mom had a bunch of stuff from the attic out and there she pulled out my tub of dinosaurs and I was like, I have way more than I remember. <laughs> you totally started playing with them, dude. Don't lie. Oh, yeah, duh. What else do, what else do you do with dinosaurs? God. Uh, uh yeah that, that's basically my job just playing with life-size dinosaur you know toys it's <laughs> awesome awesome dream. so i mean obviously yeah, they don't put them on display, display in these museums, museums and stuff, and stuff because, because people can't be trusted can't be trusted 
and something right. would get something broken would get or damaged. Broken or damaged. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's part of it. And I think it's also like, you know, if you're actually going to do real research on a original skeleton, it helps having it back in a lab where you can kind of manipulate it, CAT scan it, drill into it, whatever, things like that, you know. Right. Um, so some of the original fossils go on display, but... But honestly, casts can look better because you can do things like put the metal uh, armature all the way inside the bones and like hide it. Where if you have an original skeleton mounted, you kind of have to have the metal wrapped around all the vertebrae and things mm. like that. You know? So it's, it kind of looks not as nice, but uh, more real, I guess. That's if, Go ahead, Jake. Go ahead, Jake. No, I was gonna say. Uh, so, what kind of kind like, of, like education, education do you need for, for you know to get, you know, to get into something like that? I mean, honestly, uh, I know people um, that have just high school diplomas that have done it. Um, oh, wow. I, I actually know a guy who worked at a reptile museum or a reptile uh, zoo, and now he's a fossil preparator, and he just has a high school diploma. But um, which I guess he just probably got lucky and. Uh, had knew the right people but um you know there's also people with art art backgrounds people's geology backgrounds um i studied biology in college but it's kind of superfluous honestly what it really does is just like helps you appreciate what you're working on more than anything else you know you're like yeah and kind of place this in bigger scheme of the world but yeah lots of different backgrounds but art is one of the more prominent ones because you learn the sculpting even if you're working with original fossils like there's parts missing you often have to sculpt or cast different pieces to like replace parts and uh yeah that's awesome man You can still hear me, right? Still hear me, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> sort of, I guess we'll take it back a little bit and sort of your general intro of who you are and how you got into what you do and all that good stuff. All that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically, um, I, I, Went to college for biology, took an intro to dinosaurs class, and that's how I ended up with the job I have now, which I've actually worked at two other companies after and then came back to this one. But um, uh, it's been a lot of inspiration for the book is like working with fossil crocodilians and also inspiration is to go out and see real live crocodilians and learn more about them. Um, but uh, like working with Dinosuchus, which is like basically, you know, a 35 foot long alligator, um, you know, and then later working with, with uh, that was a cast, but still it's like really amazing to see this, this alligator with its head almost as tall as me, you know, like long. Uh, and um, then just spending like a year prepping out um, Boreal Suchus, which is another uh, crocodilian which is like more, more normal size by our, by our standards, you know, it's like a 14 foot, uh, crocodilian. Um, yeah. And, and that combined with just having a background in biology, um, just kind of was an inspiration for this book as well as just like seeing alligators when I was a kid and, uh, 
just being really impressed by them. Was there, I guess there was a lot of routes you could have gone, but crocodilians being something that you saw as a kid, was that sort of the, the main reason why you decided to sort of pursue those in particular? Or? Um, it, it's a big part of it. Uh, there's multiple reasons. I mean, I think in a way, if, you know, it's it, crocodilians are one of those animals that are for a lot of people, not very charismatic and very dangerous. Um, and so I guess to me, if you can find a way to live with crocodilians, you can find a live, way to live with like any wildlife for the most part, you know, and I think they're important that way. And um, I think they're also important when you look closer at them, they are quite charismatic. They're really um, dynamic creatures uh, that are just misunderstood. So um, yeah, I think a lot of the, my personal inspiration was seeing them when I was a kid and uh, then remembering that while I was working with the fossils, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, seeing something like a, you know, a 35 foot alligator skull would definitely be something I'd be paying a lot of attention to. Too. <laughs> yeah. That's something that just always baffles me. Like I just dinosaur stuff in general is like the fact that those things did actually exist. Same with a lot of other stuff, I guess, in history. Like, you kind of lose sight of the fact that, like, that was real. Like, it actually, it walked sure. the same areas we, we do now. Like, it was a thing. And it's, I really wish I, there like, some way to go back in a time machine and see those things firsthand because it'd be just unreal. And, I mean, I guess things like cassowaries and, you know, yeah. croc crocodilians in general, it's, that's pretty damn close, I'd imagine. Sure. Yeah, and, and that's that's another reason I found them interesting is that they are kind of a window into a past world. Um, it's a little over. It's maybe a little simplification of the matter, but um, yeah, they, they they look ancient. They look primordial. Um, in some ways, they haven't changed a lot over time. So it is kind of um, them and like you know maybe sea turtles, like leatherback sea turtles, are another good example. But uh, I kind of find that interesting because it is a continuum from like deep, deep path history uh, to the present moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there was something, someone that we, so we live down in Beaufort, which you should be familiar with because okay. you've been on Hilton Head and Charleston, I believe. Sure. Um, and there was someone, the lady on Hilton Head got, they claimed she got killed by an alligator here recently the story seems odd. I don't, the two don't, it doesn't connect. There's a disconnect there in the story of how things have, they think things happen that I don't really buy, but the comment section was, was just laughable because there were people that were like, yeah, you know, an animal that, that sucks so much. It hasn't changed in millions of years. And it was kind of la It's like, you realize like they haven't changed because the design is so good. Right. Right. It yeah. Just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it it's kind of goes back to our, our older view of dinosaurs is just like, you know, it's a really anthrocentric view where they're like these monsters that just couldn't cope with, you know, surviving with the, you know, but at the same time, they've lived for hundreds of millions of years longer than us. So it's like, who are we to say that, you know, and the way we're going, we might burn out quite a bit sooner than they did. So, yeah. I'd bet money on that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're also talking about a span of time that, that most people 
can't fathom. Like a lot of people yeah, probably yeah. can't even. The idea of of that span is like incomprehensible. Like you, there's no real way to look at something and be able to get it. I guess like sure. Unless you're counting grains of sand or something, you know. It's like you're like you're. Okay, so minor yeah. technical issues, but we got a minor out now, so we can yeah. jump back in. Continue. Well, uh, yeah. So, what made you want to write the book? Like, what was the uh, sort of the motivation there? Um, I mean, I, I guess I guess the main motivation is just uh, concern for the natural world, but also um, wanting to explore crocodilians more and just be very. I was being I was really curious about them and. Uh, seemed a good way to dig into that and um, also share share what I learned, um, mm-hmm. you know. So for people who haven't read the book, like, so, and I, I am one of those, I have not read it. I probably will okay. after this. I need to, I need to go get it. But uh, for anybody that hasn't, you know, did you do like, you know, go do field studies and like with those field studies, what kind of, you know, species were you looking at, you know, specifically? Okay, so yeah, I um, I did do some. The only actual formal field work I did was in uh, South Carolina, and it was oh. uh, on golf courses with American alligators. Yeah, so it was kind of like human alligator ecology. Um, so yeah, um, that was pretty interesting, and uh, and it was kind of a good counterpoint to like thinking of them as like these primordial animals, seeing them on golf courses, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, but um, but informally, I also uh, talked to a gharial biologist in Nepal, and he hooked me up with some guides, and we went out and just like kind of wandered around looking for gharials and mm-hmm. hanged, hung out and watched them, and uh, I did that and um, saw some mugger crocodiles while I was there as well. Um, and and wow. uh, I guess you know I did um, see caimans on like a field course, which was before this book but i had some yes, good so, notes and yeah. you know mm-hmm. you know tied it into the book um so yeah that's that that and then i just did some like wandering around in florida and uh georgia and stuff looking at alligators so uh nice yeah the, yeah what part of south carolina did you go to uh hilton head mostly that area oh. and little islands um okay. few few golf courses and those that Little islands did, there. Did you happen to go into any subdivisions in the Bluffton area? Does it ring a bell? It's a little before Hilton Head. You have to go through Bluffton to get to get to Hilton Head Island. Okay. I mean I probably passed through there, but we didn't yeah. do any field work there. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah, no, I so I work for um our county and I inspect in I'm a stormwater inspector and I look at pretty much all the private subdivisions in Bluffton, which is right before Hilton Head. And dude, the amount of gators in the <laughs> ponds is unworldly. You know, what's, <laughs> what's interesting I can imagine there it. Too is I, it seems like Jake, you could chime in on this because you'd know better than I would. It seems like there's more gators in Bluffton Hilton Head than there is on our side of the broad. Well, that's the thing. In on our side of the broad, we don't have nearly the private subdivisions with these big, you know, retention ponds that they do. Um, you know, because Bluffton is pretty much Bluffton's residents. A large majority are in private communities. Yeah. Um, majority of Beauforts are not. 
Um, and the ones that are are on the newer side, not nearly as established. So your places like, you know, Colton River and Berkeley Hall and Sun City, those places have all been there for many, many, many years now. So they're well established. You know, gators have gotten there, populated and, you know, so on and so forth. Sun City has actually has one of the biggest gators I've ever seen in the wild in my life. It was, and I've seen a lot of gators. I've seen a lot of big gators, you know, WMAs and stuff. Um, there's WMA in Green Pond. I found a, you know, 10 footer that you know, was missing an eye. And you could tell it was <laughs> old. And old. Hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But in Sun City, I was looking across this pond and it looked like just this massive blob of mud because I was looking across. It was a really big pond. And I was like, I was looking at it. It took me a minute. I kept staring at it. I was like, there's no way that's a gator. That's way too big because I was, I was 100 yards away, you know, probably. And this thing looked massive. And I was like, there's no way that's a gator. Like, it's, it's way too big. Then I stared at it a little closer, the longer I looked at it, the lot, the more scales I could see on it. And I'm like, there's no way. So I was like, hold on, I'm working, mind you. And I'm like, yo, I told my partner, I was like, you keep doing what you're doing. I need to go take a walk. So I walked around the, <laughs> yeah, I walked around the pond. And Can as I, I got- a glimpse of this warlock? Yeah, dude. I walked around the pond. And as I got closer and closer, I was like, no way, dude. And I got probably- I don't know, 30 yards from it. And it took a header into the, into the pond. And dude, this, I'm telling you, dude, this thing was 13 feet. Had to have been, it was almost as wide as a freaking car, dude. It was massive. I mean, bar none, the biggest gator I've ever seen in, in the wild. Like it was comparable to some of the gators you'd see at like the Serpentarium here, Mm -hmm. Smitty. Like this thing was yeah, look, I don't, I look just, like a captive, a captive one. That people I ask about the, the Bluffton Hilton Head versus like Beaufort side of things, just because it, you would think it would be the opposite because Hilton Head and, and Bluffton is so much more populated than most of Beaufort is. Right, you would think there would it would be the opposite, but I mean, I guess that's another prime example of how they've sort of adapted to to humans sort of yeah taking over their turf, you know. And when in the subdivisions, it's also they also have a lot more security there because it's a lot slower traffic for one. You know, if they do happen to cross the road, there's less, you know, detrimentation uh, from that. But, you know, also with there, if they do need to travel pond to pond, you know, me working in stormwater, I mapped out a lot of the drainage systems in most of those areas and they use the pipes and the drainage like a subway. They've, I found several gators in the middle of our storm drains before I got the head I, camera thingy, right? you got the little RC yeah, camera deal. I've never, I've never found one with those, but I used to pop every single, you know, catch basin and, you know, storm drains and all this stuff. And I found multiple gators just hanging out in them. And I'm talking <laughs> hundreds of yards from a pond, you know, like in the middle of a system, you know, complete opposite end, <laughs> you know, and it's. <laughs> It's crazy, man. There's one time, actually one here in Beaufort. So Smitty, a perfect place is Habersham. Habersham has a ton of gators. Yeah, yeah, they do. Ton of gators. So it's it's these private subdivisions that hold so many, you know, it's a safety thing, you know, for one is, you know, they really, they don't have any predators anywhere 
basically, you know, but it's all for me, it's all, all the managed area. You know, you also have to think any natural waterways on our side is usually salt, right? which they'll pass, but they're not going to hold, you know, I've mm -hmm. seen them in salt water plenty of times, you know, but once you get up towards like where my parents live towards the Cumbie and stuff, you see them more in the rivers. You know, the Cumbie has a lot of, a lot of alligators. So that's brackish. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's our, our little in between of Buford, you know, we don't have a lot of fresh water around, you know, it's mostly ponds and, you know, a lot of them are new, so they haven't been established and yeah. that would be my explanation for it. You know, Zach, you might, you might be able to chime in a little better. I'm, I mean, that, that sounds like as good an explanation as I would have. Um, the only thing I would add is it seems like a lot of the golf courses I visited were, um, trying their best to be alligator friendly. You know, mm -hmm. they had good rules in place about uh, approaching the alligators, lots of signs, um, even like education centers talking about like the local wildlife, stuff like that. Um, so they, they kind of seem to try to engender a little bit of even pride mm -hmm. for having, having alligators there, um, naturalists on staff and whatnot. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's also a very good point. We are very, I mean, alligators are pretty much the greatest conservation success story in history, yeah. you know. So, sure. I mean, it's, you know. But and a lot of people don't realize that either. Like, they don't no, realize they how, don't. how close alligators came to, to right. being extinct, you know. And now, and it's we because weren't. we have so many now in their range that people, like, there's no way that those were almost gone at some point. But No, they like, were. Their numbers, their numbers were very, very low for, you know, for quite a while, but... Yeah, no, it's now they're one of the most widespread reptiles in North America. I think they're <laughs> the only thing yeah. keeping raccoons in check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is a bummer though, because you see the you know the videos of just a monster bull alligator, like male just bull that of course it's like a record breaker and instead of letting it be and letting it survive and pass on those genes because clearly it was successful. They're like, let's shoot it and mount it somewhere right. or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. So right. when you, when I hear stories about the massive gators, like I, there was one really huge one I saw on sea pines, which is on Hilton head. That was a while back. And then most recent was that little Cypress wetlands area in Port Royal. There's a, that place has a ton. It does. Gators. But this one in particular, there's a couple honest, bruisers out there. I think this one might be a female though, because oh. it's big, but it's not super big. And I, kinda, I don't kind of a lean big. I don't, I don't know. I got within probably twenty yards of it because it was just sunning, and I didn't, I didn't want to mess with it too much. But I had to. I got a little closer to it, and that thing is a big gator, like the biggest I've seen in a while, at least on on this side of the the broad river. So, yeah. I love no. seeing that though, because it's like it's the same thing like Zach was talking about. Like, it's a freaking dinosaur, man. Yeah. Like, I feel like <laughs> I used to take gators for granted, I think. Yeah, as we I've kind of gotten did. older, seeing them and just watching them sort of do their thing, especially at that that wetlands area that we have here, which is just a small how many acres would you say that is? It's not even Oh, I mean it's tiny, like yeah, in the grand scheme of things. two or three, maybe. But there was more gators there of all different sizes than I could probably count on both hands. Yeah, like there's, there's, there's a ton and that's after they completely renovated it. And, yeah. You know, dredged it and you know, all this stuff. And, um, and I, I know, so I know I've told this story on the show before, but Zach, you'll, you'll probably appreciate this. I was doing a, 
I was doing a job one day and um, I was walking around this area and I heard there was a pond over there and I heard what sounded like the best way I can describe it. You ever heard a boat motor stuck in mud? <laughs> you know, okay. like a, a yeah. really low, like, you know, and I was like, what in the world is that, you know? And so I walked over to the pond to see, I was like, is somebody stuck in here? You know, because I generally thought it was like a boat, like a John boat stuck in the mud. <laughs> I look out and there's a gator standing with his head like straight up in the air. Like, and it, it was like up. It wasn't just its head. It was part of its body too, straight up sure. in the air. And it was just bellowing like crazy. It was the coolest thing Dude, I you have see ever videos seen of it and it's seen. not the same. You see it in person and it's like, dude, okay, it was that's freaking cool. Dude, I just sat yeah. there and stared at it. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Almost gave me <laughs> chills, dude. It was like, this is because like just the power behind it. it was a massive gator. And the fact right. that it was standing almost upright, man, I was like, and I've oh never seen gosh. that. I've never seen that in I hadn't I've seen it at the alligator farm, but I've never seen it around here. And what was even weirder, it just like it went straight down with his head like still up in the air, like just kind of sunk down like a submarine. <laughs> I was like, yeah. what in the world am I watching, dude? This is crazy. <laughs> it was so cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So, but uh, what 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 kind of behaviors were you you know looking at or looking for in your in your studies? Uh, that so actually the study was basically. Uh, to see how how reactive to human presence they were and in novel mm. situations. Okay. So we did things like take little remote control cars and like drive them at alligators and see how close we could get before they freaked out. <laughs> and like, yeah, it was, it, was, it was actually a lot of fun. And we had um, like little rubber duckies that we would throw on a fishing line and like see how they reacted to that. A lot of alligators tried to eat the rubber duckies. It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, um, and then just like walking to see how close you could get before you or the alligator felt uncomfortable. Right. Um, so did you see a correlation of like sizes, you know, because I feel like, you know, when it comes to like fishing lures and, you know, like the rubber ducky thing, mm -hmm. my experience, the smaller ones are way more willing to go for something like that, like a fishing lure. I've had a ton of sure. baby gators chase like a topwater lure. Like it was nothing, you know, but never a big gator, you know? Um, and then, so like with the RC car and then with that, did you see any correlation? Like the big ones tolerated it a little bit more with the RC car and the little ones darted quicker or. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if that's that particularly has been analyzed statistically but anecdotally mm -hmm. i would say that you're definitely right like the smaller alligators seem to go for stuff more i don't know if it was just them being young and naive or uh what but yeah i would say that yeah. the smaller ones definitely went for uh especially the rubber ducky but uh yeah. rc car too oh they actually went for the rc car uh not often but i think it happened at least a couple times <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy and they, they can see color, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. Huh. That's great. Yeah, I know they're, I tell, so working at the cigar shop, I'd have people come all the time, like retirees that are big golfers and stuff, and they'd always tell me about the gators and whatnot. And, and I'm like, it's like Zach was saying a few minutes ago, like they are much more than what they seem. And I tell people all the time, like, they're much smarter than you think. 
like they're, they're yeah. trainable. Like there's people that, you know, you go on YouTube and you can see tons of videos of people calling them by name and they know exactly who's who and what's going on. Like they're because they don't have that, that soft and furry and fluffy, you know, expression sure. that we get with, with our domesticated pets and stuff. You know, they get written off. So just with like with all reptiles though, you know, they get written off as dumb or, or stupid and, it's right. not the case, and they're they're behaviorally much more intricate and and sophisticated than I think they get credit for too. And you talk about that a good bit in the book, which the first half of the book was probably my favorite because there was a ton of stuff in there that I had no idea, like I I did not know. Um, and one of those things was, you know, the behavioral and social aspect of them. You know, you had sure. mentioned, uh, I think Nile crocs and one other species like actually playing with one another sure yeah can you yeah i think uh cuban crocodiles uh yeah i i i'm not sure if i can remember the exact species of every one of them but i remember there was uh like a case where a female crocodile was riding around on the back of a male crocodile you know in captivity just like cruising around uh <laughs> there's cases of them like chasing bubbles and like playing with balls uh obviously just like chasing each other um you know and i think the thing that's interesting behaviorally i think you're right about reptiles being discounted in general but you know it's like also you have to remember that birds are actually more closely related to crocodilians than any other reptiles but but even with birds it's like we take it for granted now that they're smart but that's relatively new science too you know that's only in the last like 50 years that anyone took that seriously that birds were intelligent animals too you know um it's just kind of the holdover for even really even Arist aristotelian um pre-darwin thinking that you know humans are the top of everything and everything else is below us just depending on how closely they are related to us or how similar they are to us um but yeah i mean i, I think in retrospect, it's kind of like, well, yeah, obviously other things play and uh, why wouldn't crocodilians, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's uh, like I said, there was a ton in that in that first half, especially that I just I was like trying to write notes in preparation for this as I'm reading it. And I started reading it in June and I finished it probably two or three weeks ago. And so I have like notes on my phone that I'm like, I need to go back and find that part and read and, like so I can elaborate more on those questions and stuff like that but um yeah there was like that and then talking about uh like the osteoderms you know the the for people that may not be aware the uh you know the, the bony plates and stuff along the back that a lot of people i sure. think just assume are for protection sure and there's actually and way more going on in those than than you think sure and and i i assumed they were for protection initially um before i really re researched them uh but actually think they're very vascularized which you know like blood vessels all through them which kind of is like why would that make sense if it's just armor you know it would actually be kind of counter yeah productive to have all yeah. these blood vessels but um the the new thinking is and and also they develop late in uh their lives so when they're the smallest and would need armor the most uh they don't have yeah. it or they don't have osteoderms um but the new thinking is that they they um, are used for thermoregulation, at least part partially. You know, they can control the blood vessel, the blood a little bit, th flow through them, or bask 
positioning them to uh, thermoregulate. But also uh, one thing that I found really interesting is that um, they did a study where uh, American, I think it was American alligators, the females had 10% lighter osteoderms after they laid eggs. So they're actually sucking calcium out of those for egg production, um, which is super cool. Yeah, because I've always... I've always thought they were basically they operated as like mini solar panels in a way where they could store, sure, you know, the heat and that energy and stuff. But then when you went into things like that, you know, with the, the calcium retention, which makes complete sense. Um, yeah, that and just the vascular system and, and how it helps regulate, you know, all of that, it, it makes sense. And I'm sure that that has something to do with why there's so many holes and stuff in them. You know, if you've ever seen one, sure, you know, piece of like an actual osteoderm the skeletal structure of it, I guess what you call it, but it's, it's got a bunch of holes in it. It almost looks like Swiss cheese in a way. And I'm sure that right. has something to do with that, but <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That I was mean, completely that's... mind, you know, mind blowing when I read that. Yeah. It was one of the more interesting things I learned about their physiology that I didn't mm -hmm. know initially too. But going back, you started the book talking about the prehistoric versions of, of these animals. And you talked about mega crocs and what, like, how come those didn't survive? Like, how come those aren't around anymore? Like what was the, is there a particular oh, event or okay. reason that those aren't around anymore? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of climate change since then till now. Um, the, one of the big things for like Dinosuchus is, uh, the Western interior seaway dried up. So, you know, like, obviously they're not going to be living in Montana anymore, which they still could be in Texas technically, theoretically. But I think with an animal that big there, the reason they got that big is like dinosaurs grew very fast, but something like Dinosuchus or Sarcosuchus grew very slow and lived a long time. So thinking about that, I think it's likely that they had a relatively old reproductive age so they're probably already very slow reproducers and then you know habitat loss uh climate change um you know like sarcosuchus is now in the sahara desert so uh where it lived is now sahara desert so obviously not a, not a lot there anymore yeah not a lot there anymore <laughs> not for crocodiles no. um so so i think that's likely just a mat a matter of like changing sea levels, changing climate. Um, I don't, I try to look into like specific studies that really delved into it. And there's not a lot of research that goes into it, um, but they did die off before the dinosaurs went extinct. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So, but you know, they had a long stretch of time that they were alive for too. But um, yeah. my first thought with that was, I mean, they're, they're gigantic crocodilians. And so that means they need gigantic food. So maybe sure. with some sort of mass die off or some sort, you know, that food availability suddenly drops to smaller stuff and that's less sustainable. Sure. So I don't, that was kind of my first thought before going into it, it and reading and, and stuff like that. I mean, it certainly could be a factor um, It you know, because there were extinction events before the end of the cr Cretaceous and uh, populations varied place to place. So I, I think that could still be a factor for sure. And do we know how much has changed 
in terms of like design and stuff other than size like they it's it seems like crocodilians as a whole have changed a lot but they also have changed very little at the same time yeah i'd say that's accurate i mean i think what what you have is uh at one point there was just a massive diversity of different crocodile crocodilian forms um you know but i think the main you know from like terrestrial to really small terrestrial to like really big aquatic marine forms um and even even herbivorous crocodilians which is really weird to think of really um, wow yeah yeah that's, like <laughs> that's incredible i've never heard of that <laughs> yeah I, I was pretty blown away by that one too they kind of have uh, actually like they, they call them hooved crocodiles they don't really have hooves but it's kind of similar yeah. feet <laughs> to hooved animals um but so, so, you know, like in, in a way, a lot has changed. Um, but mostly I think what's happened is we've lost an enormous amount of biodiversity and they've kind of trended smaller. Um, I guess things like behavior, we don't really know, you know, that could have changed, but there's no reason to think it did. But I think the basic crocodile body form is pretty resilient, you know, because even before crocodiles, there were like, there were ancient, uh, giant amphibians that basically had the same body forms as crocodilians, you know. So, um, yeah, that was also yeah. you. You mentioned that in the book too, and that blew my mind as well because I can't imagine any amphibian yeah, I mean... being something <laughs> that size. This is just wild. I mean, think yeah. about the um, what is it? The Japanese giant salamander. I mean, sure. the, you know, those still exist, and those are huge. I mean, for a salamander, sure. at least. Sure. I mean. That's the size of a small alligator. <laughs> These things are, I mean, I don't know exactly how big they get, but I know they're not small. Yeah. And, and actually those are, those are kind of in a way, uh, holdovers from an ancient time too, because, uh, I yeah, think it's, for sure. I think hellbenders are their closest relatives. So it's mm -hmm. like Asia, North America. So they split, you know, when mm -hmm. the continent split kind of the lineages. Right. Yeah. And that's one thing that, that, continues to surprise me is you have like you can tell when things were at one point related but they've been apart so long but the design is still so similar sure and i mean crocodiles crocodilians are no exception you know obviously the difference between a, a saltwater croc and a north american alligator is, is very big um but at the same sure. time like the the sort of the original operating software if you will is still still there it's just two different versions of it sure yeah and i mean you can even see like uh non-functioning salt glands in alligators you know mm -hmm. things like that so yeah absolutely but do they know and i'm sure they do but in terms of like the evolution and the the phylogenetic tree and stuff sort of what came first like what's the newest version of crocodilian and what is the oldest okay uh that as far as extant animals i'm or are you talking like everything living. what's currently what we, living what we have currently okay um that's a really good question i think i do i think i did look at it on a phylogenetic tree but i don't know if i actually like wrote it out you know um let me see if i can because i'm firmly i i firmly believe that cuban crocodiles are going to be the first ones to be walking on hind legs and like chasing us around <laughs> Cuban crocs are uh, Cubans are my favorite. 
Dude, without awesome. a doubt, Cuban yeah. crocs are my favorite wow. species of crocodilian. The way they run <laughs> is just it's it's adorable and horrifying at the same time. Well, just all <laughs> the stories I've heard from people that have worked with them, like those things are they're just they're on like another level in terms of just like intelligence and and behavior around abilities, just... you know. It's they're crazy. Yeah. They yeah, they're they're pretty pretty weird crocodiles anyway, for sure, too, for like main like crocodile crocodiles, mm-hmm. you know. But um, so to answer your question, I I guess I should have known this right off the top. Um, but gharials diverged from crocodilians, like the main main family tree of crocodilians, oldest. So they're kind of like older forms, or I guess they evolved separately longer. Mm-hmm. And then like crocodiles, and then alligators and caimans are kind of the newer, younger group. Um, that and that makes sense because gharials have that. You know, kind of what you would think a more prehistoric, yeah, sure, almost a more primitive version, look like you know, yeah. like, looks sure. like a modified version of what would be, you know. So that, that I didn't even think about a gharial. That makes perfect sense, at least to me. You know, once you said it, that's yeah, just based sure, on yeah. head structure and all that. It's yeah, yeah, and, and you know, you think about how like, even just diversity, they're kind of like the last of their lineage, rather than like you know, caimans where there's just like a bunch of different species, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And if you think about it in terms of Pangea and before everything sort of spread out, you know, it would sort of start there. And I'm, I'm assuming with most of the evolutionary stuff, the things that are sort of in the more Western parts of the world are sort of the last to show up and sort of last to diversify. Is that fair to say? And then old world stuff is more basal. Uh, it, kind of is a mix uh i mean i think generally that's maybe true but then you look at like chinese alligators and american alligators Mm -hmm. are about the same age you know they diverged at the same time so um and actually there would have there would have been like alligator species in between you know uh eastern u.s and china Mm -hmm. um so but but yeah, I guess I guess when you think of it that way, considering that like what I just said about like caimans and alligators being the youngest, it is generally true. But then like Chinese alligators are kind of that weird exception to the rule. Yeah, it's all wild. And I there was a the other part of the book that I really enjoyed was there was a section on on Nile crocs because you do go and sort of break it down into the the various groups, you know, with your Niles and your American alligators. And you talk about Chinese alligators and some of the other, uh, I think American crocs, you had a section on those in particular as well. Um, But the story, just the Nile crocs in particular, I mean, that's a, that's a species that's probably one of the ones that's had the most intimate relationship with humans. I mean, it's one of the most history. There's one of the most feared animals on the face of the planet, man. I mean, you yeah, know, but he, Nile Croc. That, that's I mean, that's that's another that's another level. But Zach mentions yeah. in the book, like they had what was more or less like these crocodile farms that they were like raising crocodiles, and they had some that were mummified, but then there were some that weren't. And I don't know. Sure. It's just when you think about the 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 history of our species with crocodilians, I don't think there's any other species that has had more of a history with humans than Nile crocs. Right. Yeah, no, I absolutely. I mean, I think that was one of the more interesting things uh, 
for me that interested me is looking at the uh, evolution of humans and you know the the um fossil hum hominoids that have been found with crocodile bites on them you know and then comparing that to how crocodiles act with modern primates and you know thinking about the idea of our actual evolution being impacted by being preyed on by crocodiles because you know you have to get water and if you're in africa well good chance there's going to be a crocodile in that water everything else is going to be there too yeah sure yeah it's wild i mean how do you guys look at look at fossilized remains like that and be able to just in general though too because you see odd uh like articles and stuff on on new finds and whatnot and they're like yeah we found the skeleton and it had eaten something else or we think that it was you know this size like how do you guys how how do you they go about determining like the scale of the size of some of these things i'm sure some of it is kind of a an estimate or a sure hypothesis to a degree but like how do you know this was bit by a crocodile when you're looking at bones that are you know thousands of years sure old? so i mean basically what the 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 author of that study did is he like went to a lot of zoos and uh looked at like crocodile shit and was like oh yeah these these have the same bite marks and patterns as these hominoid bones do and also looked at like kill sites in africa i mean he was Mm-hmm. He was working in T- Tanzania anyway, where, you know, there's lots of opportunities to look at living crocodiles as well as. Uh... So just basically comparison, um, you know, I'm not going to say that paleontology is always an exact science. There's definitely mistakes made, but uh, comparing is really the only thing you can do is comparing what you see in modern bones to uh, what you see in fossils. And to me, to me, it makes intuitive sense. I mean, like that humans were preyed on by crocodiles anyway. It's like kind of a obvious, you know, thing. But having the fossils makes it, you know, mm-hmm. just last nail in the coffin. Yeah. The uh, another, I feel like I'm kind of jumping around here a little bit uh, with the outline and stuff that I put together, but um, sort of in the same area that you talked about the osteoderms you also mentioned the cardiovascular system and the extra uh like aorta Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah that's that's a really weird that crocodiles crocodilians have hearts like nothing else in the world that uh you know mammals have four chambered hearts Uh, a lot of reptiles have three chambered hearts but uh crocodiles kind of have like both where they can have turn off one chamber of their heart and use their extra aorta to shunt blood. And and the, the original idea was that they did this to um, shunt blood away from their lungs so they could be underwater for a longer time. And that might be partially true too, but there was a study where they like basically just sewed that extra aorta up so it was non-functioning and watched digestion in crocodiles and basically they didn't get enough blood to their uh gut to digest as efficiently because you know crocodiles actually do digest really fast they have an enormous amount of stomach acid compared to most animals um so yeah basically they have an extra order that allows them to shunt blood to their digestive system and digest things really quick which is actually um i learned recently that like anacondas 
they don't have exactly the same thing going on, but what they do is they turn off their digestive system pretty much entirely between feedings because they mm -hmm. just eat enormous amounts of food at one time. And then they like turn it back on and start producing stomach acid to digest food on demand. So it seems kind of like a similar, similar yeah. thing with crocodiles, you know? Do you think it could be for like hibernation purposes, like to keep in, you know, to not digest so fast, kind of retain what they have while they are, you know, down? Uh, I think that's definitely a possibility. It's a it's a good idea. Um, I don't I don't know if I've ever seen that in a study, but like they really I only found a couple of studies on it. So I think that's a good hypothesis for sure. Yeah, and would that have a part in aside from just their their antibodies that naturally are just like super jacked up to. to fight off infection and stuff like that. Does that have any part in how they would be able to heal better with serious uh, not, injuries? Not, not necessarily the extra aorta, but they do actually, their blood vessels are, are in such a way where if like they lose a tail or lose a limb or something, that blood vessels can be like pinched off. And so, yeah, uh, it's a similar thing, but not, not quite exactly related to the extra aorta. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... No, oh, if because it, it's funny if you think about it, you know that type of stuff. You know, you think about if if a human chops its arm off without immediate attention, you're going to bleed out. You know, but sure. gators, you see, like was missing half their jaw. Yeah, like you missing limbs. They, they miss stuff like that all the time. So it's like you know they're certainly not getting any attention. So, <laughs> like. You know, that, that that ability to, you know, like you say, close off those, you know, or pitch off those blood vessels. I mean, that's got to be, you know, life-saving for them, you know. And oh, yeah, absolutely. Crazy. Yeah, and the antibodies are, are makes complete sense in the, in the scheme of evolution, too, because if you're an animal that's swimming around in, in gross water pretty much all the time, be it standing or not, you kind of have to have those super strong antibodies to to stay alive and not die from secondary infection or sepsis or you know oh yeah absolutely i mean yeah living in especially like in swamps or marshes is yeah it's not a not a very sanitary lifestyle yeah. bacteria ridden central yeah <laughs> especially those water holes like going back to nile crocs like some of those those watering holes that are just standing water and all oh, the yeah. dead animals that end up in those oh, things. Yeah. Like, like everybody goes over there and takes a drink, takes a takes a piss and yep. drops euchre and <laughs> you know, that's yeah, man, that's oof. yeah, yeah. I mean, I read about one place in I think Chad where like the whole ecosystem is just based on camel dung feeding <laughs> fish. So yeah, <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Adapt or die. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. That's crazy, man. So do they know going in terms of like the conservation aspect of things, like a lot of a lot of species of crocodilian are protected in some degree or another, but it mm -hmm. seems like the gharials they they they're really struggling. Yeah. I mean, How? yeah, they're go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just say what the um, sort of what's is it purely environmental factors that are having a hand in why gharials struggle, but something like muggers or 
saltwater crocodiles aren't. Like, uh, I know aerials are kind of a special case in a sense, just sure. because of their diet and stuff like that. But sure. reading about sort of where they're seeing them in terms of human populations and stuff like that, is it is it safe to say that the, the environmental factor is is a majority of the issue with with those and why they're why they're struggling so much? Uh, I I would say right now it's the the main issue. I think historically, um, hunting for traditional medicine was a big problem because like the garia of that big bulbous part on the male's nose was like used in traditional medicine a lot and their penises were used in traditional medicine. So, um, and, and that might still be the case in some places, but as I understand, like most of the populations are pretty well protected from that sort of pressure now, but yeah, environmental is, is a big impact. Um, and just like things like, uh, mining sand bait, or uh, mining sand from uh, stream banks, you know, where they would be nesting, things like that. Just, you know, which I guess you could put under the broad category of environmental as well, just mm -hmm. uh, habitat loss. Habitat destruction in that case. Yeah. All yeah. That. Destroying it. That's that's so sad, man. Because that's... That's well, just so easily preventable. Like, yeah. that's the most frustrating part about it. Is well, you have to yeah. really... Yeah. yeah that that's it like just don't do it <laughs> you yeah. know talking about how you know like you say they are obviously the most you know the earliest of the crocodilians that we have in existence today and it's like we we could easily quite easily prevent losing them but we're not and yeah. it, i mean we're trying obviously you know at least the world is where they are where they're at but you know you're always gonna have those people that are gonna continue you know whether it's legal or not and mm -hmm. it's, sure. it's sad you know like it is very it will be a very very sad day if we do not see those anymore and it's it's heartbreaking yeah yeah it is um the good news is i did get an email from the gariel biologist i talked to just a couple days ago and he's seen like garial nests in a few places that I haven't been seen for years. So this nice. is some places it's uh it's a little bit of a rebound for at least yeah. for now. Yeah and it is it is kind of a double edged sword too because I mean it's it's easy for us to I guess sort of kick back and, and see the issues that are going on yeah for sure in a in a first world country but when you're talking about a third yeah. world country where livelihood and stuff yeah. is on the line and and yeah basic survival more or less day to day of, of sure. food and shelter and things like that is definitely not nearly as commonplace as, as how we have it here. So yeah. like, I do kind of understand that from that aspect of like, it's either me and my family don't eat or, you know, we sure. save crocodiles and it's, if I were in those shoes, I can't say that I wouldn't be making the same decision, but That's a lot of the habitat destruction stuff too is also, I'm not going to say giant corporations or anything like that, but larger companies that are, uh, you know, we talk about cloud forests and stuff in, in Central America. Uh, like those are getting illegally uh, like timbered and things like that. And so there are those aspects where it is completely preventable, but because money is what makes the world go around, you know, a lot of that stuff takes a backseat to the wallet, but right. I don't know when the, in the, in the, in the scheme of, of people choosing their survival over the survival of, of something else that probably isn't really even a thought for them. You know, I, right. it's hard to say that, that none of us would, would do the same thing that, that make that decision of, 
you know, am I, sure. do I follow my moral compass and do the right thing by this species that I know is protected or do I take care of me and my, my people, you know? So yeah, no, yeah. And it's, it's something I've, I've thought a lot about. Um, just like, uh, I spent some time in Equatorial Guinea and seeing like some of the people, you know, snaring bushmeat in the parks, but it's like, it's one guy like snaring a diker, diker, you know, and he's like wearing like an old, uh, back, a backpack made out of like an old coffee bag and like no shoes. And you're like, who am I to be like, no, right. you can't eat that diker, you know, like, yeah, but, um, it just needs to eat period, you know, and that's, yeah. Right. Can sit here on our high horses all we want, but at the same time, you know, if, if you got to eat, and that's the only thing you see, you got to eat. You know, it's one of those things, I guess. Yeah, and that that to me is the big the big sort of threshold that's that's really hard to cross with the whole conservation thing. Is like we can only do so much, but when you have those people that are in that position, it's hard to tell them no. Yeah, like, what are you, you gonna know? do them? Like, what? you know, like that's I don't know, man. That's yeah, that's a it's that that gray area almost, and and yeah, like you said, Smitty, in in con in conservation, you know, it's. Ah, but I will say, I think India, though, in particular, it seems like they really have made an effort with a lot of species and stuff to sure. to really make an effort to preserve what they have and. I think Costa Rica is probably a really good example of them taking ecotourism and just running with it because they see the value sure. in it. And I'm, it surprises me that that other countries don't sort of follow suit in seeing the success of that. But I mean, we're also talking. Right. There's, there's plenty of other countries that that there's plenty of people that don't want that to happen. You know, sure. be it be it cartel related things or anything similar to that. You know. Sure. Yeah. I, I do see that being the future of Nepal, though, in particular, which is where I saw Gariel's. Um, you know, I mean, they already have like a lot of this infrastructure for mountaineering and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that actually there's a lot of potential for uh, for uh, ecotourism there. Um, and, and I think a lot of people are interested in it. And actually, like they've done really well with tigers mm -hmm. uh, of like the countries that made there was like an international agreement to like try to curb the destruction of tigers or the loss of tigers and there's have actually done better than any other of the countries in the agreement so you know um there's some there's some hope at least in some places the only thing is like nepal is still a really small country but being next door to india you know if they get they're doing right by them too i think i think we could actually see garels expand their range theoretically closer to what it was before you know yeah i would love the western gats man that's that's the top of my my yeah herping bucket list like india as a whole man that is such an underrated country when it comes to like the herpetofauna and stuff they have there it's like sure. everyone wants to go see king see king cobras and stuff but there's like at least five species of boiga that you can't see anywhere else that are just the coolest things in that genus, you know, and, and we'll never see them in the hobby. Well, I won't say never, but we're not going to see them in the hobby anytime soon. And that's the case with so much of the other Indian related stuff because they, you know, their, their export is I think non-existent for the most part, um, barring maybe a few things, but places like the Western Ghats and the Andaman islands, stuff like that. Like there's, 
there's so many places down there that I would just love to go, even just to see like tarantulas and stuff. Cause I was a big oh, uh, yeah. ornamental tarantula guy. I kept a lot of those. Like I, I have one even tattooed on my arm here, but <laughs> to go and see those in the wild would be, would be so freaking cool. And it just seems like such a cool country too. Just there's so much going on sure. there and everyone wants to go to Australia, which is cool and all. <laughs> I love Australia, but man, like India, yeah. Western Ghats, especially like China, after talking to Doc Messenger about all the China stuff, like China's very close to the top of my list too. Just there's so many other places out there that that don't get enough love. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I would love to see more of this Indian subcontinent. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask you. You've done you've done a lot of a lot of traveling. What's been your favorite place to to go? Not even necessarily uh, croc related, but just in general. Sure, sure. Um. Don't a say couple. Don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple places. Uh, probably Mad Madagascar is definitely up there. Uh, it's like kind of a bittersweet country to go to because it's like what's left is absolutely spectacular. But then, like, uh, I was there doing reforestation volunteer work for like five months, and you know, it's like you could like climb to the top of a hill every night and just like watch part of the forest burning somewhere, oh, you know? Uh, and, and, it, and it's like what we were talking about. It's like, these are people that are just like, I mean, in the really in the big scheme of things, like living a more sustainable life than I am, they're just on a small Island, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're just like slashing and burning for like rice and vegetable farming, you know? So it's kind of like, eh, it's a really hard thing to, to deal with um so it's more like it, prescribed burning yeah i mean well yeah it's it's slash well slash and burn so yeah they're they're it's controlled burning yeah, yeah. but it's yeah but, but um, is, is a lot of that because they just need more of it or is it because like certain areas that they've already started growing things maybe that soil's already been depleted and so they need a fresh section to to start growing right yeah it's a lot of a lot of the a one yeah like in the tropics usually the soil doesn't last very long for uh agriculture especially not like rice or just like some one call one cultivated crop mm -hmm. so yeah you constantly need to get more so more and more and more because like you think of the tropics as having like this really rich deep soil but it's actually just like everything grabs the nutrients up really quickly and sucks it up, you know, all the plants do. So it's actually a really thin topsoil that washes off really quickly. Hmm. And, you know, and Madagascar, that's another example of a country that does have like enormous potential for uh, ecotourism, but like the infrastructure is just not there. The government's not very competent, not very, you know, it's pretty corrupt and not dangerous, but, you know, if you, if it takes you like three days to get somewhere because the roads are crap and uh, you know, it makes it a little bit harder to travel mm -hmm. around on. They used, I know Bill Love used to do like tours out there. This was years ago, but there was a couple of people that would do periodic like two times a year, I think, or so they, they do a trip out there. Um, but I think that was long before any of the, serious sort of political stuff that's gone on because they Madagascar has been kind of weird because it seems like at least from what I've seen uh, like exports open and then for whatever reason export stops 
and then mm. you know a year or two will pass and exports open again and then it stops and it's like this weird ping-ponging back and forth of open and closed uh exportation of, of wildlife and stuff and that would be yeah. that would be another one where i'd, I'd want to go just to see the your platys geckos yeah. yeah um yeah that's seeing the Europlatuses were was pretty spectacular actually um yeah i actually met my wife in madagascar and that was like one oh. of the like she, she was she was doing lemur work in the forest and i was like oh. you know doing reforestation and like we went out on a hike like looking for lemurs and she like pointed out a Europlatus to me and i was like oh yeah this chick's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome man that's so that's such a cool story wow <laughs> even seeing the lemurs would be cool yeah oh, yeah that'd be awesome man did you it's uh like africa's version of new guinea in my opinion yeah similar but sorry what similar. it's got its own thing so did you uh did you see any hognose snakes out there i don't know i didn't mm -mm. i saw some boa i saw a boa but that, that was pretty cool yeah, dude. Any, cool to see some of those langaha out there too. Those leaf nose snakes that never keeps. Anything that isn't a colubrid would be beyond <laughs> me to see in the wild. Good God, that would be insane. But yeah, we'd be like, look, we found a ground bow, and Jake would be like, where's the hog nose at though? <laughs> I came out, flip out over a ground. <laughs> Granted, yeah. Even those mad hogs would be friggin' sweet, though. Being a mad hog and out there, I've... especially like a full-grown adult, that'd be nuts. Nuts. Yeah, the thing, the thing that's funny about Madagascar and its snakes is like nothing is poisonous, but the people in Madagascar are like terrified of snakes. Absolutely terrified. <laughs> it's ridiculous. No way. It's, they have no venomous snakes out there. Uh, sea snake. That's it. I have like else. small rear fang stuff, but none of it's like considered medically significant. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't, they don't have sure. like no or anything like that. You know? Yeah, no vipers. Right. Wow. Um, Crazy. how long? What was? How long did it take you to write the book? Uh, okay. I think it took about three years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How do you? So this is going to be sort of related, but not. Uh, how the hell do you find the time to sit down and actually write <laughs> uninterrupted? Because I've I've started like two books in particular that aren't going to be anything crazy long or anything like that. But I'm always like, sure. I want to write. But finding the time to actually do it and the motivation to do it is really, really difficult. Yeah, that's. I would say the hardest part about writing, honestly, um, just, I, I guess the easiest answer is I just made myself do it. But um, some of it was, you know, like when I was in Texas volunteering at a wildlife refuge, like I had like, I think it was like working four days and then a three day weekend, you know, and like that weekend was like, all I had to do was like, look at reptiles, alligators and uh, write. So I just like, kind of spend the mornings looking at alligators and then uh pull up and write for a while and uh, yeah it, it can be hard though it's definitely that's the biggest challenge is make is finding time to write um yeah. what part of texas were you in dedicated uh near aransas national wildlife refuge so it's like south of corpus christi oh dude yeah i know 
Aransas. I lived in Corpus Christi. Okay. Yeah. No, you said, I was like, wait, I know that. And you said, <laughs> I've been to, I've been to Aransas. So you've been to all the alligator spots I've been to probably. <laughs> probably. I've been around. I've been around. I didn't go down there a lot. I did most of my time in Corpus Christi. I had a uh, management area that I went to there a lot. But yeah, oh, cool. I know about Aransas. That's where I could make a trip out there and see Chris. Yeah. I did it all. Yeah. I want to walk. I want to walk my trail again, man. I love this spot. Yeah. So the other uh, the other thing in the book that I, I found surprising was you're talking of the uh, like the natural intergrades of American and Cuban Crocs, mm -hmm. which I, I was completely unaware that that American Crocs even made their way down that far. Which, well, I forget that Cuba's really not that far from from us, but sure. I thought that was interesting, too, because wasn't there some sort of effort to stop that from happening, even though it was a naturally occurring thing already? Yeah, yeah. And actually, interestingly enough, like uh, early Cuban crocodile conservation was like kind of like part of Fidel Castro's thing, which apparently he was actually quite a bit into conservation. But um, and, and I think in some ways there's a little bit of nationalism in there. In some ways it's, uh, it, it, you know, there is some good science there, too, but I kind of do find it hard to draw that line between like where we should interfere and where we shouldn't. And that's kind mm -hmm. of a gray area there because they do interbreed naturally. Um, but at the same time, maybe certain things we've done have tilted the scales a little bit one way or the other, you know, a little bit more than they should be uh, towards them interbreeding and there being less Cuban crocodiles in general. But uh, it's it's a yeah it's a complicated thing and and even some american alligators nest more like i mean american crocodiles sorry nest more like cuban crocodiles and there's the thought that that's because they're actually hybrids not pure american crocodiles too so yeah i'm yeah. looking at a picture of that cuz i didn't even look it up when i was reading about it and that is like the coolest parts of both in one <laughs> I mean, That's wild. at a certain point, though, when can you call it, you know, a natural integrate, you know, because there's, you know, that goes in the snakes, you know, like, or, you know, Hernando, you know, Hernando County King snakes, for example, are an integrate of two other, you know, king snakes that kind of made this, you know, this integrate because this area houses, you know, keeps both. So now the naturally occurring kings are, you know, these integrate, you know, localities. And I can't remember what they are off the top of my head, but, um, you know, like that's gotta, you know, at a certain point, you just kind of, that's what this, that's what this region of, you know, said country has, you know, they're, they're all integrates, you know. Sure. Yeah, and and I mean, I think I think in a lot of ways, what is happening with Cuban crocodiles is kind of natural. I think the hard part of that is there's not like a big population of Cuban crocodiles where they're not hybridizing with American crocodiles. So I guess you know we could see a future where there'd be no pure croc Cuban crocodiles, but 
I, I don't know. I kind of th tend to think of it evolutionarily where it's like, well, we're all just genes flowing along a, you know, gradient anyway. We're not like, it's kind of silly to be like pure bred anything in a way. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, nothing's in a bubble. Necessarily, right. For the most part. I don't know. Nat Geo did an article on it in 2011. They said there's a new Cuban crisis. The island's countries, island countries, rare crocodiles being loved to death by its American cousin. <laughs> Mating Cuban crocodiles and American crocodiles are creating hybrid offspring that threaten the survival of the Cuban species, which has dwindled to about 4,000 wild animals on two isolated Cuban swamps. In two isolated Cuban swamps. Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, having captive breeding programs and things like that isn't, it's not harmful, you know, it's, it's going to be good anyway, but uh, as long as they're not like going out and killing American crocodiles in mass or something. Ah, oh, we knew. Yeah, that would, that's some crap humans would pull though, I'll tell you that. Uh-huh, yeah. Let's go <laughs> kill all the American crocodiles to save the Cubans. Shut up. Don't do that, please. <laughs> not do that. It says genetic revelations are shifting the story of the Cuban crocodile and raising questions about the right way to conserve it. Oh no, Cuban crocs are awesome though. Yeah, they are. They are, and and you know, I I'm not saying I want them to go extinct. I definitely don't. It's just uh, the right way to go about things is a little bit complicated. Yeah, that, that's a hard, you know, if they're both naturally occurring, I mean, there's really nothing to do to fix that, you know? I mean, there's, that's just what's going to happen, you know, for all we know, because unless, unless somebody can go find and date back when, you know, American crocodiles, you know, kind of started coming into the area, you know, for all we know, every... Cuban croc in these areas that have American crocs are, in fact, hybrids, you know, and because that's sure. just how always been, you know, for all we know, none of them are true Cuban crocs, you know, at least where they where they cross, you know, I don't know if they cross in all of the Cuban crocs, you know, territory, but, you know, if, for all we know, they could all be some type of hybrid. Sure. Yeah. And, and as there are genetic studies that suggest they have hybridized before in the past. And then I think the populations drifted apart again. So it's, you know, it is kind of, you know, even historically natural, historically being prior to, you know, modern humans. Right. I mean, would we not though, I would think that if it were given the American Crocs range, would we not mm -hmm. see Morlitz American intergrades uh that's a good question i've never uh because those are on the gulf side of like mexico and central america yeah i i would almost wonder if they are not able to hybridize but there's a pretty big i, I don't know because I, I it's something i haven't I haven't heard of but that's a good question that's a good point i mean uh but honestly the more genetic studies we do the more things like that will probably come up that are you know surprising yeah. or maybe not surprising but yeah we didn't know and the genetic studies you know are really going to be the only thing you can do about 
you know, stuff like that. Because, you know, you look at, you know, look at carpet python and green tree python hybrids, you know, if you do a 50-50 cross, you can tell it's pretty different. But every time you produce more carpet. Yeah, the more you go one way or the other. It just looks like a carpet python, mm -hmm. you know, once you get up to 75% of carpet, it pretty much just looks like kind of a weird looking carpet. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So for all we know, they could look mostly like Cubans, but they have that blood in there. You may not be able to tell at all, but you know, right. it, it could just be there, you know, and that's impossible to tell to an extent, you know, unless you do the you know needed studies, you know, and that's, yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a hard one for sure. Sure. Yeah, and the other interesting aspect there too is, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say Cubans before you know in in previous history were so isolated, but like we see with with stuff like rough scaled pythons and some of those severely, like they might as well be island species, even though they're on you know something like like Australia, like they're so isolated from everything else that like the sure. sort of genetic depression has sort of already weeded itself out. So I would think that with Cuban crocs, it would be a similar thing. But then when you introduce things like the American crocodiles sort of making their way down to that area, that might shake things up a bit and, and cause problems. So I guess I can kind of see the, the sides of both, but yeah. Yeah. See the, you can definitely see the side effects, you know, because we all want our Cuban crocs to stick around and be Cubans. But at the same time, there's, what do you do? You know, like that's, they kind of just, you know, showed up, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like, what do you, what do you do at that point? That's, it's natural, you know, and so it's. I don't know. One of those things. Yeah. I and that's something I, I, I've always wondered about with a lot of species that are, you know, on the verge of extinction. And theoretically, if it wasn't meant to be, then it, it that's the way that it was supposed to end. But I don't think I we can say that about really any species because of what we do. Right. And right. the way, you know, it's like, yeah, Tasmanian tigers weren't meant to be would they still be around if, if we didn't do the things we did? And maybe that's a bad example. Cause I don't know exactly what the, what the whole story was with those and why they disappeared. But I have a very hard time believing that we didn't have some sort of effect or hand in why so many species are either gone or on the verge of being gone. And see, that's my problem yeah. humans. Cause you can't really, if we were the cause of something going extinct, you can't say that was supposed to happen. You know, we right. are, we are the most invasive thing on this planet, you know, bar, bar none. Mm -hmm. And sure. You know, if we cause something to go extinct, you know, and it's one of those things that you can't really grasp. You know, we talked about earlier, you know, the human brain, not really being able to grasp something, you know, and, you know, us being the cause of something, you can't really wrap your head around the fact that there's a chance that if we never, if we were never here or we never did this, you know, or we just continued to live like we did many, many, many years ago, you know, why these animals could very well still be here. You know, and at that point it's, you can't really call, say that I was supposed to happen when it was our own negligence that caused it. 
you know right it's you know something that was supposed to happen is like the dinosaurs you know like that that we didn't do that you know right that was just that that's just mother nature you know and but we are not that so habitat destruction you know i i don't i don't know that's it's like i said it's so frustrating because it's it's so easily preventable yeah at least in developed right. countries and stuff in the world you know it's it's like we know that it it's it's affecting things in a negative way but it continues to happen because once again everything takes a backseat to the bank account for somebody somebody somewhere has to get paid and whatever it costs to make that happen is that's the price they'll pay so telling you man we see it you know me being you know i basically work in construction i inspect construction sites all day every day and you know and right now between the three inspectors just in the beaver county municipality we have 600 single family developments more actually and you know people are you know, we get all types of complaints now because people are buying these lots that really aren't, shouldn't be built on. Because yeah, they're built <laughs> in the marsh or like yeah. literally below sea level. Fripp <laughs> Island is a perfect example. Fripp yeah. Island is pretty much at sea level yeah. and people want to build on these sandy lots and then they get their house built and they say, oh, we're flooding. Well, that's because the lot that you bought used to hold everybody else's water. And now you just built it up and all that water still has to go somewhere. So it's like, but, and so it's like, we do, the county is like, can't you got, if you want to build here, you got to do X, Y, Z. And all you have to have is a bunch of money and you can pretty much build anywhere you want, you know? And that's why, you know, I'm glad our county has been buying up. You know, we've bought many, many acres of, you know, an area to be you know left alone and not developed which you know is great but in the grand scheme of okay thanks for buying this 10 acre track of land in this entire massive county that is all being developed like cool that's plenty you know so I mean, it's the like, any effort's better than no effort i guess yeah, i i fully agree sure. But, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's hard to fathom, you know, a lot of the stuff that's going on, you know, the places people are trying to build now and the pieces, places where people are building, you know, it's, I don't know. Here's a, here's a good question for you as a paleontology guy. If they can bring back some of these dinosaurs, should they? (laughs) (laughs) We already know it, that answer. I think we all want to see it, but yeah. no be the one that actually does it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like if I found a time machine, I'd definitely go back and visit. But you know, I mean, really, no, we should probably shouldn't do that. If there was, I mean, like, I mean, what about like was... mammoths? Because mammoths were still around when we were when we were here. Sure, there and I mean, and that. And, and that's actually one that there are actually active research projects attempting to make it possible. So, and places in Siberia where they've said like, yeah, if you, if you actually clone them, Japanese researchers, you can put them in Siberia and uh, have them roam around. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> Hey, that's... Okay. I mean, I, I, I mean, I would love to see it. I'm, I'm saying if they opened a Pleistocene park, I'd go visit, but at the same time, I guess for me, it's like, 
uh, locating resources realistically, you know, the things that are now alive but may not be alive is probably yeah. the higher priority. Some other resources that those could be, uh, yeah, tended to <laughs> a little Lord, more pressing. Lord knows sure. how much money that would cost, and that can go to a lot of other things that right. still here. Right. right. I think if anyone's yeah. going to do it, it's going to be Elon Musk. <laughs> like, like, dinosaurs, like I'll, 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 pay, I'll throw down for that. I want that, that, that's probably what that's that, that's probably what the Martian colony is really going to be. It's just going to be a bunch of dinosaurs roaming around on Mars. <laughs> aliens already remade them, they just dropped them on another planet. They're like, they're already gone there. Let's just set them up somewhere else. So, if they're if you're going to have a dinosaur come back, Ooh. what would it be? Ooh, that's a really good question. Yeah. Ah, um. I mean, I'd love to say something like T-Rex, but that also seems like the worst idea. <laughs> yeah, you basic white person, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, maybe, maybe something like a Diablo Ceratops, something really cool and impressive, but not probably violent, but not predatory. <laughs> or not destroy everything in its past type of deal. Yeah. 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 No, Is that's, it that's true? But should come back versus what do you want to see? Because there's a, there's a difference there. There is a difference. <laughs> a velociraptor <laughs> back around. I can tell you. Watch that. us actually do it, and then the whole Jurassic Park thing actually happens, and then it's literally going to be like we had a whole manuscript of how this would happen. And you did it anyway. <laughs> like you knew what was going to happen, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> but is it is it true that velociraptors were actually small? Yes. Yeah, velociraptors, like their heads are like, you know, six inches long. Man, when I heard uh, that, I was but, actually really disappointed because I was, like, yeah, I want the six foot, eight foot tall Jurassic Park ones, man. And then well, I was like, yeah, well, they're really small. Well, the, there, are, there are dinosaurs that are almost exactly that. Like, and actually, like, as, as the first Jurassic Park was being made, they actually discovered a Utah raptor, which is like almost the exact size and everything is a velociraptor. But, um, there's actually a book raptor red where like one of the paleontologists wrote that was uh, a consultant for jurassic park wrote it and he was like talking about how like they discovered it and someone called them up and was talking to him about it and, like you found spielberg's raptor like what the hell this thing's real but yeah <laughs> velociraptors are really really small yeah they're they're but utah raptors are about the size and uh uh dinos dino Nikus is similar in size too so See, I, yeah. I knew Velociraptors were smaller than the movies portrayed, but I didn't realize their heads were that small. Yeah, they were like those little. Oh yeah, they're yeah, they're they like in the other movies. They're more like com commies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Fun. Those little ones freaked me out, man. As a kid, like that was the one I was scared of the most. <laughs> the gang I can see of that. Compies, because <laughs> like watching them tear apart that German dude in the Lost World, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Well, they could be hiding around like any door, right? You know, it's like being attacked by a pack of rats. <laughs> it's like death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> that would be terrible. And those spitting lizards with the frills aren't real either, right? That wasn't a real thing. Uh, well, the dinosaur is real, but the frills are totally made up, and the venom is made up. So it's yeah. like theoretically it could be, but no, not probably not. Yeah. Yeah. What about Brontosaurus? 
Well, I mean, there's a Potosaurus, but Brontosaurus is uh, kind of no longer. It's a, there's a little bit of controversy there, but I, I tend to be on the side that Brontosaurus doesn't really exist, and it's just Here a I Potosaurus. Am watching Jurassic Park as a kid, <laughs> convinced that all of these are real, as is as the the 3D animation makes them. <laughs> And it's all a lie. <laughs> We're over here thinking we know all this stuff about dinosaurs and Zach's like, oh, uh, <laughs> you're full of shit. <laughs> this is probably the same stuff that gets he gets asked all the time. It's like, what do you mean? Oh, you yeah, yeah. Jurassic Park, is this real? And they're like, no. Like, yeah. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> funny. So, okay. So, again, this is just going, going back. I'm sure you hate Jurassic Park questions, but I'm still going to ask. <laughs> With like the with the newer the newer movie, were they more accurate with their with the raptors running around Italy or Morocco or whatever <laughs> it was? No, but I mean like some of the you know what okay okay which movie was the most accurate as far as like actual <laughs> actual description? The one with Indominus Rex, obviously. <laughs> yeah, last one. The chameleon T Rex yeah. raptor. I I. I, I, I I actually have a friend that works at a museum and had someone ask him if they had Indominus Rex at the museum <laughs> and he had to explain to them that. That okay. five-year-old was probably heartbroken. <laughs> probably, yeah. Crush a kid's dreams. That, that, that's what we do in paleontology. We just crush kids' dreams. Uh, Remember your favorite dinosaur? It's not real. It never <laughs> was. <laughs> Anything like that. Remember those velociraptors you thought were so cool? Yeah, they're like... Yeah, and they all had feathers, too. They were technically <laughs> birds. Yeah, the feather thing is kind of... Yeah, it's a it's a hard one, I think, for a lot of people. They were just bad like, penguins. <laughs> yeah, especially like people my age and older. It's like, what? They're like basically giant like ostriches? Come on. Yeah, that's why I tell everybody Cassowary is one of the closest things. Dude actual dinosaur we gotta have a cassowary episode i don't even care that's not reptile related like i am obsessed <laughs> with cassowaries those are the most terrifying freaking death machines on the planet i would oh, yeah. sooner freaking swim with a giant ass gator than go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a freaking cassowary <laughs> like i see those things like you see the slow like, there's some videos that were posted on facebook that someone did with like really nice cinematography and like these slow motion things and you see the feet yeah. and stuff it's like that's an effing dinosaur man Oh yeah. Yeah, at least that's an impressive dinosaur. It's not like a pigeon or something. Right. <laughs> it's not a parakeet. <laughs> like, ah, oh, I want to I want to see one in person. And there's people in Florida that like farm those damn things. I think I read a news article a while ago about a guy that was killed by his yeah. cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was hot. Lo and behold, it was Florida. The one place where it's like if someone outside of Australia is going to get killed by a cassowary, it's going to be Florida. There's no other state that that's going to happen in. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Florida. <laughs> I'm almost positive it was because it was funny right after that happened. So I actually have a picture that I took. I went to the alligator farm while I was in Florida one day. And they, they have, have one there. And it was up by the glass and I took a selfie with it. Like I saw I have this picture with a cassowary right here behind <laughs> and uh, i was about to make him my profile picture then something came out about a dude getting killed by one and i was like well, let's not do that then <laughs> that would be well yeah and man you see these guys in australia like up in like uh like iron range area and stuff and they're like 
there was a, a dude who was just walking around, I guess, looking for something. I don't know. And like this cassowary just shows up and is like walking right, right near him. It's not, it's like he doesn't even exist. It's just walking around. I'm like, hell no, man. Like it'd be cool, but it'd also sure. be like going and seeing like the biggest great white, white shark you could. It's like, I don't care how big the boat is. It ain't big enough. <laughs> like it's, it'd be cool to see it, but it, I, hmm. Yeah, no. We're like seeing a seeing yeah. a in open water. No. Pass. Pass. I'll Pass. see him in a zoo. Now, see, I don't. Want, I can't even appreciate him there because I just feel bad for him. But my my coworker got back from Alaska not too long ago, and he said while they were fishing, he had a there was an orca that literally swam underneath their bow, and I was like, dude, I would have, I would have. Wow. Yeah, everyone thinks they're they're adorable yeah. and free willy. It's like. That's another thing that's like on my list of the top worst ways to go is getting killed by an orca. And it's terrifying because it's basically a giant like six year old that just decides that you're just plaything in the bathtub. And I know the Blackfish documentary was like there was a lot of bias and stuff there, but seeing the videos of these dudes and like these these very close calls they had with the orcas and stuff, I'm like, yeah, those mm. things, A biased or not, like that's a I have a there's a thing about like highly intelligent animals and keeping them in captivity that for whatever reason just doesn't sit well with me unless they're in like appropriately sized environments and things like that. And when you're yeah. dealing with something like that, that's on like a, a higher plane of, of intellect compared to 99% of the other animals on the planet, you know, next to us to keep it in a, in a small, but what is essentially a small tank like that. And it's like, you wonder why they go violent and why they want to freaking right. Like they get bored and it's like, Oh, this dude's swimming with me. Cool. I want to play with you. Like I'm going to yeah. drag you down to the bottom and I'm going to watch you try and swim up and then I'm going to grab you again before you can get to this. Like, yeah. Oh no, man. No There's stories of them literally killing themselves in these enclosures, you know, like I don't, if, in my opinion, yeah, that's all the can of worms that we don't need to get into. But like that whole thing is like, there isn't an enclosure big enough for an orca. In, no. in my opinion, there, there isn't, you know, and that's, yeah, that's, that's a whole other. Thing. I'd probably snap too. Yeah. I Damn right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. It's my nightmare. Yeah. I don't know. I stay locked up in my house when I'm not at work. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what's funny too. You look at countries like Australia, and then you look at like what we have. Like Australia has all the different brown snakes and cassowaries and saltwater crocs. And you come over here, we're like, and we've got gators, which are pretty. In my opinion, they're like laughable and compared to. Well, almost all of the crocodilians in terms oh, wow. of like yeah. alligators it's like we have gators and everyone's so scared of them here and it's like really like yeah you need to respect them and, and stuff like that but it's like compared Just, to what other people are dealing with in other parts of the world like right gators are like pigeons yeah, pigeons dear. of the pond <laughs> people like, were, I, I tell people with gators i'm like just don't touch don't try to touch them that's <laughs> all you have to do is not try and play with them and don't touch fine. lest you be touched <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. And we have, you know, copperheads and stuff like that. And Australia yeah. deals with so much other stuff that we don't. And I'm kind of glad that that's the case. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you talk to any of them over there and they're like, yeah, it's really not that big of a deal. I'm like, motherfucker, like everything you touch can kill you. 
Yeah, but they're also not just like running rampant all over the place like people think they I mean, yeah, they're right. all but they're not like you know, busting through your windows at night and taking your firstborn type of shit. Like, <laughs> I, you know, they're, you know, you, li- you live with stuff like that, you know, you at least you learn to in a place like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's all they've known. If I looked out my window and saw a koala with those creepy ass eyes staring at me, I'd piss myself. <laughs> yeah, I've heard koalas are kind of assholes, actually. Yeah, I've yeah. heard they're, they're, yeah. They too are not as cuddly as the cartoons. Yeah, say, not as cuddly as people think they are. Sucker <laughs> will bite your fucking finger off. Keep my kid in reality, man. Just just show her what's actually going to happen if she tries to play with one of those things. Like she watches the <laughs> Netflix show, the kids who like re- rehabilitate koalas and stuff, and they're like all adorable and eating their eucalyptus leaves. And I'm like, that's not the story I was told. Show her, show her a picture of one soaking wet. That'll change. Oh my god, dude, it's Gremlin. horrible. <laughs> it's literally like gremlins. It's not it's cute. The worst. Not cute. <laughs> yeah, gremlins is a very good uh, example. Worse. Worse than that. Yeah, no, they're they're horrifying. And the but... wombats, like the wombats, will chase you around and like, oh god. I'm sure there's gonna be our. Our people in Australia are going to message us and be like, stop being a bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say they don't have scorpions, but I actually think they they might. They, they, they do. Yeah. Yeah. All the bad ones are in the Middle East, though. I wonder what yeah. kind of prey they have out there. What kind of what? Birds of prey. Cassowaries. Well, <laughs> <laughs> There is no other bird of prey that compares. All the others are just seagulls. Fully flightful, okay? Fully flightful birds of prey, okay? You've seen a cast where he jumped like Michael Jordan? <laughs> I do. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a... No. Good thing they have chondros. That's their saving grace. Oh, yeah. No, that's the only thing that makes them lame. Oh. Yeah, I went there. And Kimberly Rocks. Those are cool. And Ackies. And Dude, Carter Pythons, I guess. Everything makes Australia cool, let's be honest. Cool yeah. It is, so it's it is cool. cool. It's just, like I said, it's not at the top of my list to go and herp. It's it's up there. I'd say it's easily within like the top seven. But Western Gats and China, man, and Costa Rica, those are <laughs> probably the top three. Costa Rica, Costa Rica would be very high on mine. Very, very high. Ecuador is a pretty cool place. That's, that's oh, the yeah. place I'd like to go back to, too. That's See, I want to go to Costa Rica just to see dart frogs. Yeah, really, I get any, that. Really, any of those Central American, South American countries, I'd go to see dart frogs. But uh, You want to go yeah. want to go finger and lick some dart frogs? No, I don't. I just want to see them and take pictures. See some Bothriacus. That would be cool. I'd love to see some palm vipers, man. See Arifer in the wild like Cody and Pia did. What? It's too much cool stuff. Porthidium. All the Bothrops. I wouldn't really care, man. If I got got the opportunity to go herping in another country, I wouldn't really give shit where it was. That's... Whatever I could do, I I would do it. You know, like I said, if I could see anything that wasn't a Colubrid, that would... 
that would blow my mind. You know, anything that's a colubrid or not a North American pit viper. But. Where haven't you gone that you want to go, Zach? Um, I, <laughs> so I've been to a couple places sort of in Africa, like Madagascar and Equatorial Guinea off the coast on an island. But I would really love to just like anywhere in sub-Sahara Africa uh, mm -hmm. I'd like to go to um, just for wildlife, if nothing else, but anything. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's too many, too many places. Not enough time. Yeah, because yeah. there's there's a ton of countries in Africa I'd love to go to too. You know, like just to oh, see yeah. the whole range of things. You know, South Africa up into like you know, DRC and like yeah, Ivory Botswana. Coast, all that stuff. Yeah, Africa yeah. is a vast continent, man. Like you know, from South Africa to some of your other places, like South Africa. You know, people think of Africa and they think of it as like a, a third world you know, country, but that's only part of Africa. South Africa is sure. very urbanized, like sure. massive cities in South Africa, you know? And so it's, it's a very vast continent for sure. There's, it's, it's an incredible place. Really. That's, I, ha I have friends from uh, South Africa, like the, his, his okay. dad there and you know he was but he's from a very urban part of you know south africa you know like his family was very well off out there and you know his area was very you know like i said urbanized i guess you know neat neat continent that's for sure yeah are there any plans for another book in a similar uh similar vein <laughs> or uh, I have lots of plans and no real solid answer for that. <laughs> um, I, I I started working on a book, of, well, a book proposal with a co-author on just like basically relating co conservation to paleontology. Mm -hmm. It's pretty broad. Um, but we've, it's kind of like been pretty slow going. And uh, I've toyed with an idea of writing a book about uh, chameleons. Just like be cool. going back to Madagascar, especially. And uh, so, yeah, I have a few ideas, um, but uh, nothing so far set in stone. So, yeah. Now, in terms, I guess, in sort of building on that some, because now that I'm thinking about it, like paleontology wise and like ancestry wise, were chameleons always kind of the same size or were there like gigantic versions of those at one point or another? Uh, chameleons are actually a pretty new lineage, so they haven't really, I mean, besides the giant ones that we have now, they're like, you know, relatively giant compared mm -hmm. to the tiny, tiny ones. No, they're, they're pretty much what they've always been more or less. Hmm. Yeah, that's another one, man, given how short their lifespans are in, in comparison to most other reptiles, it is kind of surprising that they've they've kind of made it as far as they have, but uh, that's also why yeah. mom has a billion eggs. So, right. Yeah. They're meant to sort of show up, take care of bugs, make more of themselves and then sort of fizzle out. Yeah. I miss, I miss my Jacksons. I had some Jacksons as a kid that were a blast. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I had a veil yeah. that was the, the friggin' spawn of Satan. <laughs> that, that was my experience with my failed chameleons. <laughs> Dude, he was horrible. It's the worst. <laughs> they have no love for humans. That's... Nope. <laughs> Most 
don't though. Like, yeah, that's true. I can't stand when people have a chameleon and they're just like walking around with it like it's nothing. I'm like, there's a dude at Daytona doing that. He had was walking around with it on his head. It was a giant veiled, like a really big one, and it was the one that I was telling you. I was like, that thing was damn near black. Like that thing was not having a good time at all. That thing, <laughs> that thing was pissed. Not social creatures whatsoever. Like, I mean, reptiles in general really aren't, you know, at least, you know, snakes and, you know, most of your commonly kept lizards, you know, like, they don't, yeah. they don't like your ass, man. Like, come on. They don't want you fingering them all the time. Like, just leave them alone. Chameleons are one of those, man. They just, they just seem so unstable. Like, you, they're wild. Yeah, any, if they're outside of a tree, it's just awkward. If they're not on a branch, it's just, it's not natural. This thing is obviously not, like, at all, dude. Like, just leave it alone. Like, it's... See, that was the hard part for me as a kid, was the whole, like, oh, yeah. don't touch factor. I was like, they're I have not... a freaking chameleon, i got to play with it. <laughs> now, there's, and that's the thing, like, with kids, there's very specific reptiles. Not very specific, but, like, there's a group of reptiles that are good for kids, but, like, chameleons are not one of them. Amazon tree bows? Yeah, yeah, those are great. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but... PetSmart, PetSmart has no business selling chameleons. That's all I gotta say about that. Yeah, <laughs> I hate that crap. But yeah, whatever. How's, speaking of how's how's Spurge? He's good. He's getting, <laughs> he's getting big. Eating a extra large mouse from my freezer every two weeks. No thanks to you, buddy. No thanks to you. You love I, pulled, I actually pulled him out the other day and I fed him. I was like, what in the world, dude? Every time I get him out, I swear he, he's gotten so much bigger. It's it's wild. But, yeah, he's cool. Well, if people want to grab a copy of the book, uh, I know it's on Amazon. Is there anywhere else that is, um, that is better? Like where you're, you're getting more? Uh, I mean, it does. It doesn't make any difference to me, but my publisher would probably appreciate it if okay. they bought it directly from him at West Home Publ West Home Publishing dot com. Uh, but yeah, like the commission for me is the same, more so pretty much. So uh, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Nice. And if anyone has any questions or wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, yeah, sure. They can email me at Zach Fitzner Z A C H F I T Z N E R at Yahoo dot com. Cool. cool. Are you on any social medias or anything like that? Uh, I'm not. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Hey, good for you, man. Uh, yeah, because I, I tried to hunt him down to be able to tag him and stuff. I was like, this dude doesn't have an Instagram or Facebook. I was like, I'm so jealous. <laughs> like, how does he do it? Yeah, we'll we'll see. I might I might eventually have to venture into that world for book promotions or something. But hopefully, if you do, if you do, do I was about to say, if you do, do yourself a favor. Just make an Instagram. That's, yeah. that's the Facebook's consensus the I've heard. Person. Yeah. Even yeah. though it's owned by them, they can't somehow <laughs> make Facebook just as nice and, and pleasurable as Instagram is. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But all right, man. Thank you for uh coming on. This has been a very uh very good and interesting episode. And uh, definitely I think this is the first time we've talked to a paleontologist. It is. Um so that's 
freaking awesome. You're living all of our childhood dreams. <laughs> The, and, and crushing it. some when we ask about Jurassic Park dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. So grab a copy, Tears for Crocodilia. Find it. It exists. Find it. <laughs> and it's it's really good. It's definitely worth having. I know so many of our friends, uh, you know, Herp Libraries, like they have a ton of books, and they're always looking to add more to it. So I think this is one that's definitely worth having on the uh, on the shelf there. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was I was emailing Zach as I was reading it, you know, going like, man, I just finished the first like three chapters and they're phenomenal. And he was probably like, okay, that's cool, no, man. Like I wrote it, I know. <laughs> 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 oh, but oh. this episode was brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Check them out. New sliding open, slider open, slider opening, slide open options on the xt3 and xt4 and now single window drop down fronts on the xa3 and xt3 uh check them out if you have any questions feel free to message us in the black box facebook page check them out at blackboxcages.com and then steve snakeshwary and his venom hot sauce check that out um cottonmouth sauce that's where it's out i kind of wish i had some i need to get some that stuff's good on everything kind of like old bay put on anything and it makes it better the seasonal of hot sauce. Yeah. Yeah. So help them out. SteveSnakeshury.com. Uh, we'll be back for Snakes and Stogies Monday night at nine. Uh, other than that, planning another Corn Stars episode with Chris here soon. We talked to some of the, the older guys at Daytona that we love talking to and try and get them on and, and make that happen. And then yeah. People keep wanting a Condro cast show, so I guess that might have to happen here soon too. So yeah. I know I sound excited when I say that. But. Guess I'll do a Condrocast episode. Yeah. I got Mike Cuppin sending me pictures of like a tomb, like a headstone with the Condrocast logo on it. <laughs> Go record it yourself if you want it that bad. But the one bites the dust. Oh, it's time that's all it's just time but thanks again zach we will see yeah, everyone thank you. later have a good evening good morning good day whenever you maybe listen to this thank yeah. you thank you and a pleasure yeah, man.